This is Public Occurrences, both foreign and domestic. And now your host, Michael O'Fallon. The most consequential and most important speech that I've ever given was the speech that I gave in London back in October of 2019. And I've placed the link to that video of that speech in the show notes here. And I have my notes out from that speech given three years ago in front of me this morning. And I want to bring back some of the items that I spoke about in that 2019 speech in London again to you on this podcast. That speech was titled, After Light, Darkness. And it was a risky speech. And by that, I mean risky in the sense that I was giving this speech and basically telling the esteemed audience with James Lindsay, Helen Pluckrose, Peter Boghossian, Alan Sokol, Constantine Kisson, Andrew Doyle, and others that, whether they realized it or not, that we were already, in 2019, in a massive conflict, and that the weapons that were being used were ideological and informational. And I spoke about fertile fallacies and reflexivity. I explained how much of the delusion was coming through this thing that no one was talking about at the time, critical race theory and intersectionality, and that we must realize that we had the light for a while. We have had it, the light of objective truth, And the fighting and wrestling for that truth that cost the lives of so many men and women over the course of the last 500 years or so is now being discarded for radical subjectivism. So nearly everything that you hear, every cause that demands your attention right now, is usually a fertile fallacy. And again, a fertile fallacy is a strategic untruth that has a kernel of truth contained within it but is being used to accomplish operationally something that you aren't aware of. In other words, while we had the light of truth in the seeking of objective truth that has brought us magnificent technological advances in everything, we are now heading into a period of darkness. Almost pre-Reformational darkness. And this light, the light of truth, the light of hope, the light that would dispel the darkness is now being discarded for dystopian operational success. And understand, many sacrificed over the last 500 years to bring light and truth into the world. But now the forces around us are conspiring, and I use that word strategically, they are conspiring and demanding darkness. And they have now taken the role of the pre-Reformational Pope and have declared themselves as the only reliable source of truth. Almost a ministry of truth, if you will. But it is all darkness. And if we are told that we must walk in their darkness, we are bound to stumble. In darkness. The darkness in these analogies indicates the absence of truth because the light is truth. The light will help you to see things clearly, but in the darkness, in the absence of objective truth, 
your ability to see or to move will be obscured. Well, George Orwell stated, quote, The further a society drifts from the truth, the more it will hate those who speak it. As Orwell will posit, there is nothing new under the sun. So if you could please with me, let's turn back the clock 500 years or so. And the proclamation of those that enjoyed the radical concept after many years of the Dark Ages of what is known as the Protestant Reformation was this. Post tenebras lux. After darkness, light. After the centuries of the monarchical episcopate ensuring the ignorance of the subjects of the kingdom under their subjective understanding of revealed objective truth, the light of the truth broke through the darkness into the vernacular language of the common people. And the great age of knowledge began. No longer were men and women bound to what those who held the word of God captive said on how to worship, who to confess to, how salvation was to be earned. The light of the Reformation revealed that salvation was by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, revealed by the word of God alone. The light had started to shine. No longer did men and women remain enslaved to being told what to believe and what to do and how to conduct themselves from magisterial authorities. They had the truth themselves. And now they had the ability to hold those who ruled over them responsible to an agreed standard. By what standard? Then the explosion of knowledge began. For the light was beginning to shine. The desire to know how to read became preeminent among everyone. As the ability to read, to write, to communicate was necessitated throughout what we know now as Western civilization, the great leaps of knowledge were becoming commonplace. The sciences expanded and were fortified by the ever-sharpening resolve to get it right. See, the age of reason had its genesis. The common man, pulled from the centuries of ignorance, found himself in the path to creating a new society with equality, liberty, common sense, and volitional responsibility as its strength and core. Whether in an ecclesial sense or in the realm of scientific progress, the light was shining. Through years of revolution, through many hardships and strife, the light continued to find its way through the cracks, the crevices of ideological darkness. But keeping the flame of the light lit has not always been easy. But we have come through an age of great progress, of the miracles of communication, of wellness, of flourishing like no age before us. But, but maybe, just maybe, we had taken the light for granted. In an age where more citizens in the West die from obesity than from hunger, maybe we have taken the light for granted. 
In a time where education is available to nearly everyone who desires it, where communication across nations is as simple as communication across from the kitchen table. Quite possibly, we have taken the light for granted. In an epoch of time where nearly every ounce of knowledge from almost any field is available to the average person in Tifton, Georgia, as is available to a student in Cambridge, our sciencia, our knowledge, our sciences have been a great achievement. But maybe, just maybe, we have begun to take the light for granted. You see, the light of knowledge and of the age of amazement, even greater than the Belle Epoque, relied on the pursuit by the common man of objective truth. We, we call it the correspondence theory of understanding and knowing truth. Epistemology. To know why. To know what the evidence is of a truth claim. Because truth corresponds to the reality that reveals it to be true. This is how nearly everything is measured in our world, at least it used to be. You know, a medical diagnosis, a grade in the classroom, a bank account, a trial by jury. Truth must correspond to reality for something to be true. Now, we know that this is good science. It's provable science. This is also a good exegetical methodology in understanding anything. This leads to a good society because we know that our objective is the truth. But there's a problem with this, not for you and me, but for those that desire to be our masters. For those who believe that they know better, that they know better than the common man who today has the very same equal access to the light of knowledge. If your desire is, let's say, submission, if your desire is to overcome the great equal sharing and leveling of the playing field that open access to the light of true knowledge brings, then obviously, the last thing that you want is for man to understand and possess equal knowledge, because that takes your advantage away. But the genie, for the lack of a better term, is already out of the bottle. If every man, woman, and child has equal access to the light of knowledge, to the pathways of truth afforded to them through cognitive liberty, how, if you wanted to control the huddled masses, how would you try to reclaim some sense of subjugation? Well, you would introduce ideas that would claim to be true that are completely irrational, utterly insane, downright mythological, and claim that they are true, or at least that they are morally true, under your new mythological moral code. Let's understand these falsifiable but feel-good half-truths as fertile fallacies. And fertile fallacies always contain a kernel of truth, but at the core are meant to spurn reflexive action as desired by those that seek societal or political change. So here is a subtle but destructive twist to destroy the concept of objective truth. It's radical subjectivism 
dispense of objective truth claims and end the correspondence theory of truth. Say instead that people are capable of acquiring knowledge, but that they can never have enough knowledge to allow them to base all their decisions on objective knowledge. So in the minds of those that wish to destroy the correspondence theory of truth, it follows that if a piece of knowledge has proved useful, then the accusation will come that what is known to be truth is exploitive. It must be seen as oppressive, and then state what we know to be absolutely true no longer applies today. So you claim that the truth is a fallacy, and what is actually a fallacy or a false claim now becomes the truth. Because we now live in an upside-down world. Everything is fake, made only true by the constant, repetitive, reflexive feedback loops that are fed to us every day, all day, all the time. So, in upside-down world, everything that is objectively true can be considered a fallacy simply because accepted norms, you know, scientific normalcy, societal normalcy, legislative normalcy, this we call precedence, are now just as fallacious as those ideas and concepts that fail the scientific method and fail the test of correspondence. Well, then everything is a fallacy. So now, pick your fallacy and make it a truth according to what you wish to politically accomplish. Embrace the power relationships of Foucault and spice them with the grammatological deconstruction of Derrida. In fact, deconstruct everything that holds our society together. Blow up and tear down the edifices of our society with critical race theory, and then glue it all back together again, upside down with intersectionality. You see, the fertile fallacies are fertile. Fertile fallacies are lies that have legs. Fertile fallacies grow roots. Fertile fallacies rely on resentment, on grievance, and once fertile fallacies begin to grow roots, they become more and more difficult to remove. For you, friends that are listening right now, once they have made their way into your organization, into your company, into your seminary, into your knitting group, into your political party, then the fertile fallacy will begin to extinguish the light of true knowledge and our methods that lead to the discovery of truth. As Milton, the author of Paradise Lost, stated, quote, The mind is its own place, and in itself can make a heaven of hell. A hell of heaven. End quote. It insists that the light of knowledge is darkness, and then the candle is extinguished. As William Butler Yeats said, quote, Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. After light, darkness. So, 
For those of you in medical research, for those of you in higher education, for those of you in the sciences, for those of you in philosophy, for those of you who are involved in legislation, for those of you involved in business, for those of you in affinity groups, for those of you that are in the media, for those of you that are in the pastorate, for those of you who are the common men and women of our society, let me give you one piece of advice that you can take from this message for the sake of your children. You must rage against the dying of the light. I say all the following without one ounce of hyperbole. What others have called the culture wars is all for practical purposes about to die. The battle for epistemology is what is raging right now. Upon this battle depends nothing less than the survival of Western civilization as we know it, and not just that, may I add, but for humanity to continue to exist. Upon it depends our own lives and purposes, and the long continuity of our educational institutions, our research institutions, our religious institutions, our legal institutions, and our own individual cognitive liberty. As I think through what I have as a very diverse listening audience, and I know it's made up of Protestant Christians, of Roman Catholics, of atheists, agnostics, of Muslims, but as I think through who's listening to our podcast, I can certainly say that very soon, the possibility of the entire weight and might of top-down legislation may very soon be turned upon us. The bottom-up frenzy of mass hysteria surrounds us this very day. Those that are forwarding radical subjectivism know that they will have to break us all into our individual tents, continue to divide us, ensure that we are turned against one another so that they may prosper in their new mythological foolishness. But if we can stand up to them, all men and women may be free to prosper intellectually, and the life and true progress of the world and its people may move forward into broad, sunlit uplands. But if we fail, then the entirety of our civilization, including those fighting for liberty anywhere in the world, including all that we have known and cared for, will sink into the abyss of a new dark age, made more sinister and perhaps more protracted by the false lights of a new perverted science. Well, let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if we do save this civilization, if we do reignite the light of knowledge and truth, May we light a flame those that will carry the light of truth for future generations. Because we must win. I'm Michael O'Fallon, and this has been Public Occurrences, both foreign and domestic.